As we get rolling this morning, what we're going to get into is what a lot of Christians face, and that is uh, you give your life to Jesus Christ, and what's the next step? What's the next two, three things that we need to do? And last week, uh, I, I don't know if you were here. How many here were, la- were here last Sunday? Was that not an awesome Sunday or what? Seriously? Four people surrendered life to Jesus Christ. Okay, let's try it again. How was last Sunday? Give it up. All right. Yeah. Uh, We were talking in Staff Tuesday that when you have a Sunday like last Sunday, you're good till Christmas. I mean, in ministry, it's hard, but uh, I just kept running through my mind just just how amazing. I loved when Will came up. Will was last. Will, raise your hand, Will. And Jeff Houston, one of the other guys, was there, and they called for two other guys for backup. We got Will coming, okay. And just, it was just an amazing time. But this happens, I think, in every Christian's life, is the what's next. In other words, what do I need to do next to grow in my faith? All of us need to ask that question. Lord, I never want to be content where I'm at. I always want to be striving towards the what's next to help me grow in my faith. And that's what we're going to get into this morning. So let's just pray that God will bless us these next few minutes. Heavenly Father, I come before you and surrender to you, praise you for the power of your word, and praise you for everybody that's here today that took time from a busy schedule to be here. And so, Lord, I pray that all that we do, we honor you. And Lord, I just pray that you'll give all of us an idea of what's next. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. One of the things that I'm always amazed with uh, in life are spaces. In other words, I love to go to historical places, and uh, I'll be standing there, and I'll kind of rewind, like, I wonder what took place right here. For example, I grew up in Illinois, and so when you go up to Springfield, and they have some of the areas where Abraham Lincoln grew up, and I can remember just standing and think, who knows, Abraham Lincoln may have stood right here. So this morning, I want to open up by just sharing some interesting numbers about spaces. So here's the first one. I uh, did some research on this, and Tony Lutz and some others helped me this morning. If you go to the back wall, all the way to this back wall, to the carpet, that big square, that's the size, 134 by 44, of the Sistine Chapel. So if you've ever been, how many of you have ever seen the Sistine? Good. How would you describe it? Don't let me down, Tony. <laughs> it, was, it was Okay. It was unforgettable. Good. Okay. So think about that. If you just look up at the ceiling, it's not nearly as glamorous. I mean, we got a disco ball, but we don't have Michelangelo's incredible painting. But think about that space. Think that if you were going over there, it's this space right here. Now, some of you, if you'll look, there's a piece of yarn. You can see that across. So I need everybody in this row. Would you guys stand up? In this row, stand up if you're up to the yarn. So I need everybody stand up from right here up. So everybody here, stand up because the other yarns in the back, look behind you. Okay, so I need everybody in this section, if you'll all stand up. Everybody stand up. Keep standing. Keep standing if you're in that section. Now I want you to look at this space. This is interesting. You know what this space would represent? If you were to go to Memphis, uh, you'd find an interesting place. It's called Sun Studios, and this is the space where Elvis Presley and Johnny Cash got their start. The world was changed in music in a space that size. Now, you can all sit down. Now, here's the most remarkable space. Tony stood there. This square is the exact size of the cell 
where Nelson Mandela spent 27 years of his life. Now, let me say something else about spaces. First of all, let's look at the Sistine Chapel. Five million people, five million people every year walk into an amazing facility. It's not a facility. It's a, you know, Sistine Chapel. And they look up, and they're inspired. Think of all the people who have listened to Elvis Presley and Johnny Cash and how they literally changed country, western, and rock and roll. And I want you to think that an entire nation was freed because a man spent 27 years in an 8 by 7 space. I don't know if you agree with this, but I believe that transformation many times takes place in small spaces. Would you agree? That transformation many times takes place in small spaces. Now, I want you to hold that thought because that is a really, really important thought. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn over in the Old Testament. If you're not really familiar with the Bible, just turn over to your left, to the Old Testament, to the seventh book, and it's the book of Judges. And let me give you like a one-minute summary of Judges so you understand what's going on. Time and time again, you'll read this one phrase, and the people did what was right in their own eyes. Now, what happens when we do what is right in our eyes? How does that usually turn out? Not so well, okay? So when we do what we think is right, we screw it up every time. So the entire nation of Israel, they would cry out, and God would raise up a leader, and you can tell by the title, the title would be a judge. So that's what's going on here. So you get to Judges chapter 6 and 7, and God is going to call out a leader. And the leader that he calls out teaches us so many valuable lessons in life and judges, and we're going to start in chapter 6, verses 11 through 18, and the leader's name is Gideon. So chapter 6, let's start in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came, and he sat down under the oak, and he had, he had longed to belong to Joash the Ebizite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine presses to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has this happened to us? Where are all the wonders of our fathers that you told us about? Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us, and he's put us in the land of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon said, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And that is a sermon in itself. And let me just back up and tell you what's going on, especially in Hebrew culture. Uh, Marie and I had a chance. Matter of fact, Marie, my wife, uh, grew up in a large family. Uh, farming family. And then we spent 10 years in ministry in central Illinois in a farming community. And this time of year is the most glorious time of the year if you are in a farming community. Why is that? Anybody? What's going on? Harvest. Okay. If you don't like combines and big trucks and semis and slow traffic, do not move to central Illinois during harvest because people love it. And people look around, and it just there's this kind of a dust in the air, and there's this kind of smell. And people from out of Central Illinois, they go, that smells. 
And people from Central Illinois said, oh, no, no, that's money. I mean, it is a beautiful sight to see all this inner workings going on. Now, Israel was an agricultural community. And so here's what was the most amazing time of the year for them, harvest. And when things were going well for Israel, uh, I just love this word picture when I was doing some study. It said, especially when they were harvesting wheat, they would intentionally go to the top of hills. And they would have this, basically an area that they had flattened out, they'd stomped down, and they would take the wheat and they'd throw the wheat up in the air. And then the chaff would blow away and then they'd take that wheat and they'd start making bread and all the things. Now the reason they put these positioning of uh, these areas on top of hills, two reasons, and I love this. Number one was the wind would capture the chaff and blow it away. But number two was it allowed the entire nation of Israel to just kind of look on the hilltop and they'd see these men working and they knew life was good. Man, life is good. Look, the work's going on. The harvest is great. But you notice here, he's not in that area. He's taking the wheat and he's actually pouring the wheat in a wine press. And the reason why was they couldn't be out in the public because they were surrounded by enemies, and he knew that. So he had to take all this work and he had to condense it into necessity and survival. So here's a guy just sitting there doing his work, and an angel of the Lord, and I love this, comes and sits by him. And he says, Gideon, God has great plans for you. God wants to use you. He has renamed you, what? A warrior. And I love his response because it's the response that all of us have. Look at verse 13 and verse 15. He says, why has this happened to us? Why? You ever felt like that with God? Maybe some of you this week, that's your question. God, why is this happening to me? It gets personal. God, why are you letting this happen to me? Then I want you to listen to the next question. I love this. Where are the wonders? In other words, we've heard all these amazing stories about Moses, and you took care of all the people. Where are you now? And then it really gets interesting in verse 15. How in the world is God going to use me? I'm from the smallest clan. I'm the weakest in my clan. Now, that means there were 12 tribes, and this was the smallest in number. So he's asking the angel some very important questions. How in the world are you going to use me? That is a huge question for all of us. We all wrestle sometimes with, God, how in the world can you use me? If you only knew the garbage in my life, if you only knew the mistakes I've made, you would not be calling out to me. And yet God uses broken people. Here's the other thing I love about God. Do you notice what Gideon was doing? He was working. You know what I noticed about God? He loves to hit moving targets. Do you know when he reaches out to you with a burden on your heart or a call? Does he ever do it when things are calm and you've got plenty of time in your calendar? It never works that way. You're frantically working and all of a sudden God lays a burden on you. You really need to go, go take care of this problem. And you're like, whoa, God, seriously, have you seen my schedule? Now think about that. God, do you know how busy I am? I mean, I know you're God, but man, I'm really busy. Okay, I created the world and you're busy. Seriously, get over it, you know. But yet we, we do this all the time with God. I am so busy right now, and he hits moving targets all the time. How many of you in the last year, God's hit you while you're moving? Raise your hand. Come on now. He hits us all the time. Like, we don't have time. And that's when, the, that's when you know it's from God. He'll hit you at the most inopportune times, and that's when he drills Gideon with, man, I've got a challenge for you. And Gideon does what all of us do, and I love this. Gideon hears the challenge, and I think his blood's starting to stir like, 
man, I, I could get into this. I mean, first of all, it's an angel. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. An angel showed up. He's talking to me. God must think I'm pretty cool, okay? And then he starts thinking about the task, how great the task is. The odds are overwhelming against him, against this mighty nation that's surrounding them. And so he does what a lot of us do, and I love this story, and I guarantee a lot of you have heard it, is Gideon is bargaining with God. How many have ever heard the, the term, uh, you need to lay out a fleece? Anybody hear that phrase? Okay, good, three of you. So you'll enjoy this, the three of you. So here's what it means to lay out a fleece. Gideon is struggling with God, and he said, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do if you'll do this one thing, and he's testing God. He said, I'm going to get this fleece, so for lack of a better word, let's just say he took a, a wool rug, basically, and he laid it outside. He said, now, God, if I come out tomorrow morning and this fleece right here is wet, is damp, there's a little dew on it, but everything around the fleece is dry, then I'm going to take that to mean you want me to, to do what you want me to do. I'll be your warrior. I'll do whatever you want me to do, but you just got to make this damp and everything around it dry. Now, what do you think he was thinking when he went to bed that night? I think it's the same thing that a lot of us think when a big challenge is in front of us. God, seriously, I'm not, okay, let's reconsider this. I don't want to do this. I can't do this. Let me give you the, let me get out a tablet for you A personalities. Let me write the list why this isn't going to work. And I'm going to do, you know, so we're bargaining with God. And that's what, you know that night. And you know he's probably thinking, man, what I just asked God to do, that's pretty tough to do. To actually wake up and this is wet, everything else is dry. And you know the story, don't you? He wakes up and let's pretend this is the, the rug, the wool, the, the fleece. And you know what he does? He takes it. <laughs> I love this. He's, he's probably going like this to see if it's wet. And it says, he, he squeezes it out and there's like an entire bucket of water. Doesn't God do that? It's like God's way of saying, you're pretty stupid. You know, I sent an angel. The angel gave you the command, and now you're testing me with a piece of wool. Really? Is that the best you can do? I think he does that to us all the time. I think he's probably right now working on some of your hearts, and he's calling out you to do something so big that you are scared. You are so scared, you're afraid to even say, God, use me to do this. Here's how I know it in ministry. Uh, can I just share a pet peeve? Sure, I got that microphone. So here's a pet peeve as a minister. A person will come up to me and they'll say, John, I've really got this burden. I've really got this ministry I want to do. And they usually don't say I. I really got this ministry you need to do. And I'll say, oh, really? Tell me about it. And they'll say, I can't sleep. I've just been praying about this and there's this burden. And when I was younger, I'd say, oh, you know what? I feel really guilty. Let me see what I can do. Now, I'm getting old. So you know what I say? God didn't lay that on my heart, but it's obvious he's laid that on your heart. Why don't you do something about it? <laughs> no, no, you're the pastor. You have the title. It doesn't matter. You have the burden. I love the way God does that. I really do. Because he's laid burdens on your heart, and some of those burdens seem huge. But I guarantee you, God wants you to move forward. So the chapter continues, and this is where it gets amazing. Gideon, after he lays down the fleece, he realizes God's got amazing plans for him. And that's the way God works. He always works that way. This week, I had a chance 
Uh, Larry Page is here. He's our elder, one of the elders. He shared uh, with us for communion. Larry and I went to, to visit Camp Hunt. It's uh, now known as Wheeler Rescue Mission. Uh, probably over 200, I think 50 acres out near Fish Road and Anderson uh, have taken care of broken people for well over 50, 60 years. But let me share what happened to them that I think and hopefully will inspire you. Camp Hunt was a rescue mission in Indianapolis back in 1955. They barely had two nickels rubbing together because imagine they're working with the destitute in Indianapolis and they get a phone call from Bloomington. And it's from a lawyer, and the lawyer says, we have a group of doctors who bought a lot of land. They were going to build this lake community. They put this little lake in, but they don't have the capital to keep it going. So they're offering the rescue mission from Indianapolis, 120 acres near Bloomington. Now, this is, again, 1955, for $35,000. Now, they got together, the board, and they said, well, that's amazing. The problem is we have zero money. Man, we're practically in debt, so we're going to give them a counteroffer of 23000 And they accepted the counteroffer. Board got back together and said, we got it down to 23000 The problem is we don't have two nickels that rub together. Less than a week later, and they accepted it. Less than a week later, another lawyer calls the Wheeler Rescue Mission, said, crazy thing happened. This woman just sold her estate, and she gave the rescue mission. Anybody want to guess what the amount was? $23,000 check. Now, why does God do it that way? We know why he does it that way. Because he wants us to grow in faith by stepping out there and saying, God, I don't want to test you. I don't want to test you, but I want to accept your challenge. But he knows when we do, it is going to be scary. It is going to be scary. And we got to know, not only do we serve a God that hits moving targets, we serve a God that absolutely crushes the odds all the time. You get to chapter 7, if you flip over one chapter, and here's where it gets amazing. Now, he's accepted, and remember this, Gideon has accepted this amazing challenge. And he has, remember he said he's from the weakest clan, he has 32,000 men that he can go to battle against the Amalekites. The Amalekites had 135,000 men. So imagine that challenge already. Now, this is where it gets, it wasn't funny for Gideon, it's funny for me. So he, uh, he has the 32,000 men. And the Lord says, you've got too many men. What? You know, so he, he, he's got all these men in front of me. He says, okay, 32,000 of you. Here we go. We, I am the mighty warrior. God has taken me, and he's going to take you to mighty places. And are you ready to, I mean, it's a brave heart moment. Come on, are you ready to fight? You know, are you ready to die? Okay, how many are with me? And if you're afraid, then go home. 22,000, go home. Wow, that's a bad day. You know, now he's down to 10,000. And you know, he's thinking now, you know, this, is not, this isn't a bad way to die. You know, I'm gonna, it's going to be quick and easy. I'm going to go on the battlefield and, and maybe someday somebody will preach about me. You know, this isn't a bad way to go. And God says, no, no, Gideon, you still have way too many. Now what's he, what's he do? He says, well, I want you to go across this river and I've got a plan. And they start going across the river and it just seems crazy. But God says, now... The guys that as they were going across the river, if they stopped and lapped up the water, those guys need to go home. But the guys that as they were walking, just cupped the water as they, and they kept moving, you keep those guys. Anybody want guess what the number was? 300. Now it's getting funny. Now it's a suicide mission. You, you know he's thinking, 
Lord, I'm taking on an army of 135 plus soldiers, and now you've whittled this thing down to 300 men. But it's interesting because there's a transition point. And he realized that God not only can do amazing things in small spaces, God can do amazing things with small groups of people. Do you believe that? I tell you, I believe that with all my heart. How many of you have ever heard of the 80-20 principle of business? Anybody? Anybody know what the 80-20 principle means? What do you think it means? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. How many agree with that? Oh, please, you have to agree with Okay, if you've ever been in any organization, that's how it works. You know, we're having a potluck right after this church picnic. Now, rumor has it, 20% of the people eat 80% of the food. Now, I don't know if that's true. We'll check that out. But here's the deal. He's realizing that this really is how it works in life. It isn't like there's a, a large majority of people who stand up and say, I'm going to do what's right. Very seldom is that way. It's almost always a small group of committed folks who say, the odds are against us, but we're going to stand up and do what is right. So I love what Gideon does next. He overhears a dream in the camp of the Amalekites, and in the dream, they're scared. He can't believe it. The Amalekites are actually talking amongst themselves, and here's what they're saying. We're having these dreams, and the dream is that Israel has this amazing army that they've mobilized behind our backs, and they're surrounding us right now, and they're coming after us. I mean, the odds now are against us. Can you believe that? They're actually scared. And so here's what he does. It's, a, it's an amazing plan. He gives everyone a clay pot, and he gives them a, a horn. Now, when I say horn, it's a ram's horn. And he puts them, this is amazing, in groups of three, and there's a hundred groups of three, and they surround the Amalekites at night, and he says, when I give you the word, you blow that horn, you break that pot, and you make noise like you've never made noise before. I would have loved to have been there that night. And it said when they made this incredible, outrageous noise, the Amalekites thought they were surrounded, and basically they were killing one another. There was so much chaos. Kind of like a junior high week at camp. If you've ever worked out, you know, they're just going all over, and they're just going crazy. And then all of a sudden, I love this, Gideon is so fired up now. He, he then sends the word out to the other tribes, and he's like, we've got these guys on the run. Let's, let's finish this thing. And it becomes an amazing amazing victory for Israel. But more importantly, as this story is told time and time again, who's the hero of the story? Is it Gideon? No. Is it the 300 soldiers? No. Who's the hero? God. God said, I want you to realize that the, the, the end of this story, transformation can happen in small spaces. Transformation can happen in small groups. And I am God, and you are not, and impossible things can happen. I look around this room and guess how many folks we have here today? About 300. What do you think God can do with us? What do you think God can do in this space with this group of people if we truly surrendered to God? Not our plans, God's plans. Think of the transformation that's in this room when we give our lives to Christ. A few weeks ago at the Leadership Summit at Sherwood Oaks East, uh, they showed this amazing story from the Angola prison about transformation, and I think it'll just inspire you. So I want you to just watch this amazing story from the largest maximum security prison 
in the United States. Okay, guys. That goal is a maximum security prison with 6,300 prisoners seated on the Mississippi River with 18,000 acres, which is about the same size as Manhattan Island. And 90% of the inmates you meet are going to die here. The reputation was such that I didn't want the job. I did not apply for this job. I did not say, please let me go to Angola. I'll do you a good job. I said, I don't want this job. When I became a prison warden and I told my mom, she said, let me tell you one thing. She said, God, you're going to hold you accountable that they have a chance to know him. And if you fail at that, he is going to punish you. And I said, yes, ma'am. Immediately when I came here, it was a horrible place. And it was running me crazy. There was blood everywhere. They would fight with a lock in the sock. They had weapons. We couldn't get the weapons, and we couldn't get through it. The first time in my life that I really felt that God talked to me was here, but it was also the first time in my life that I was desperate enough to listen. The whole deal was, if I could make a moral, I could heal the prison. We found a morality in religion because in our culture, you find morality quicker in religion than anywhere else, and I'm desperate for morality real quick. Now, the cool thing about moral rehabilitation is everybody from every group, atheist or what have you, wants people to be moral, and they want them to rehabilitate. So those two words could find no enemies. And Warden Kane brought the seminary, the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and they have an extension center here, four-year college, two-year associate, four-year bachelor's degree in Christian ministry and theology. What better way for God to change a place than for men to learn about who God really is? It works. If you're truly rehabilitated and you change your life, you also learn it's better to give than receive. Criminals are takers. They just take, take, take. So to break that cycle, we need to have programs so we let you show your boy and feel like you're a moral person, give back. And then we started the toy shop. We make about 6,000 toys, wooden toys that we give away at Christmas. We probably give away 1,500 bicycles. We do Johnny and Friends wheelchairs. We send 1,700 wheelchairs to third world countries. We work in the field, harvest all the vegetables by hand. Everybody has a job here that's no unemployment. That's a good thing. The work is meaningful work. It's not just make work. But the point is, the culture changed in the prison totally to where the mom and daughter can walk anywhere in the prison. No whistle, no cat call, no graffiti. There's no gangs in the prison. And the stats are incredible when it comes to violence. And so, truly, God did 2 Chronicles 7 14. He healed this land. You got to do that little devotional every morning. Do that little devotion every morning. You're just putting the gas in the car and keeping it going because it gets you where that you can hear God. It's not that He just all of a sudden says, "Do this or do that." So much He makes you think it, and then you realize, "I couldn't have thought of that because it'll be such an awesome thought." And that thought you're having because you're close to Him and you're praying, and you're praying for guidance and leadership. Then you're gonna think of it.
that doesn't fire you up. You've got some serious issues. I mean, you think about what God can do in, in impossible situations. God can do amazing things in small spaces. God can do amazing things in small group. There will always be people who ask why. Thank God there will always be people who reply, why not? We need to be a why not congregation. And if you don't want to be that kind of congregation, I don't mean it's bad, go somewhere else. Go somewhere else. If you want to come and sit and not serve and take, take, take and never give back, go somewhere else because we're going to change the world, and we can do it right here on the west side. I believe that with all my heart. Now, practically, let me just share with you um, where we're headed. And uh, there are just some things in these next few months I think it's important for us to know as a congregation where we're headed. And I, I, first of all, for those of you that maybe you've just started coming, I want to give a very brief history of the West Side. It's a pretty short history. It's hard to believe that in October, a year ago, we had our first meeting at Sherwood Oaks just to kind of lay out an idea, okay? Then we had our first meeting here on a chilly night in November, and we began to lay out a plan that went a little bit deeper. In January, we had a Commitment Sunday where we asked 150 folks for at least a year would you come over here to give us a fighting chance? And then February, March, and April, one Sunday a month, we just had what we call soft worship. We just tried to get our bearings straight of the room and everything else. And then on May 3rd, we launched. And uh, we had the Chick-fil-A cow. It was just good times, okay? <laughs> and then as the weeks have unfolded, we've just said, God, where do you want this to go? God, where do you want this to go? And the AMVAP building has been amazing the way they have just stepped up to help us. Now, our motto is always, don't set, serve, and find a way to get involved. And as you go out these next few weeks, you're going to see all of the opportunities to serve right there in the back table. There's just so many ways you can get involved with teams to make a difference. But I just want to share with you what's going to happen immediately in these next few months. Number one, we're going to create a space for our elementary age kids. Uh, the AMVET's going to allow us to put a wall upstairs in one of those huge rooms, and we're going to be able to take all the kids up into that area. The first work night will be September 28th, Monday night at 6 p.m. Bring your hammers, bring your tool belt, and let's get it done, okay? September 28th, 6 p.m. Number two, we want to expand all of our teams. We want everybody to feel a part. So please, don't just sign up half-heartedly. We really want you to move forward. Number three, we want to grow our life groups. I would love to see us have at least 100 folks in life groups by January of 2017, that we get involved. I'm really big on this. Get out of rows and get into circles. And there's, there's so many ways to get involved in life groups, and we'll do everything we can to get you connected. Number four, we want to build this church on prayer. We want prayer to be foundational. I love what Greg Groeschel says. Your prayer for someone may not change them, but it will always change you. Just because you're praying for somebody and you don't see change in them, it doesn't matter. It will change you. Now, here's an interesting one, and that is we want to come up with creative ways to get to know each other, okay? I got to be honest with you. One of the things that drives me nuts is I still don't know all your names. 
And I don't know how many of you know everybody's name that comes in. So we're going to do some creative things to try to get to know each other better. Probably the month of October, we're going to set up kind of a fun area, and we're going to take a bunch of pictures and get names out because, honestly, we just got to get to know each other, okay? So that's a big deal, okay? And then um, I just want to wrap up by saying um, thank you. You have no idea uh, what these last few months have been like uh, for me, and you have inspired me. Uh, last Sunday was just an example of sometimes God shows up and sometimes he shows off and he was showing off last week. But behind the scenes, what was inspiring to me is how many people stepped up to serve. Um, uh, Nate is back here. Uh, Nate Bain shows up here with a cattle, uh, I don't even know what you call these things. It warms the water. So he shows up here like at 7 a.m. He bought it for a buck at an auction he drops this thing in the tank, and it's heating the water. Uh, Tracy Fox and others bring additional water in to heat this thing up. And then I see an entire team bringing in towels, and all this stuff is just going on behind the scenes. And they're doing that because of an attitude just to serve. And honestly, that's what we're here to do. If, there, if anybody says, what's going on on the west side? I mean, the easy thing to say is, Oh, that is great. They have great food when they come in, biscuits and gravy every fifth Sunday. They got a disco ball. They pray in a bar. I mean, isn't that enough? I mean, you know, but really what you want more than anything else is you want to be able to communicate. You know what's different about this place is for whatever reason, they just want to keep giving and serving others. And if we can just keep serving others, then we'll realize we're all broken. Everybody in this room, we're broken. And we desperately need Jesus Christ. God's got incredible plans for us. And the next steps, here's the thing. I don't know. Do you? All I know is we lay before God and get out of the way. And uh, two words, buckle up. Okay? God is good. Let's uh, have our invitation. And everybody stand. And I just want you to prepare your heart. I want you to listen. As we uh, just share, as we do every Sunday, give you an opportunity, first of all, if you've never accepted Christ, to make that decision. And some, for some of you, you may say, I just want this to be my home. I want to serve here. We would love to have you be part of the West Side Story as we sing.